Well, good morning. Good to be with you here in the room. Good to be with those of you who are watching online. It's just good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping in spirit and in truth together. Well, there's an author uh, by the name of Stephen Covey. He wrote a number of books uh, back in the 80s, 90s, and into the early 2000s. One of them was uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, one that I never read. Um, uh, But but he did write a a lot of uh, informative and inspirational things. But there's one thing that he said that stuck out to me, and it's really pertinent to today. He said this, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's simple, it's kind of funny, but it's true. The main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing, and it's kind of hard to do. You may have noticed over the last few years that there have been many things trying to claim the title of being the main thing in our lives. Yes? Things like COVID, or masks, or not masks, or freedom, or democracy, or global conflict, or racial inequality, or sexual identity, or social media, or conspiracies about all of the above. The list just goes on and on and on and on. Yes, many, many things that want to claim our attention and become the main thing and the main focus in our lives. And even things like, you know, today, hey, guess what? It's Super Bowl Sunday. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to y'all. Oh, and that's right, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so, so guys, you better get your act together. Um, uh, oh, oh and, uh, but then there's things that have already kind of passed that we should celebrate, right? It's, it's Lunar New Year back at the beginning of February, so happy Lunar New Year to those who celebrate that. Happy Groundhog's Day. Yep, happy Groundhog's Day. I missed that one. Sorry. Oh, happy Black History Month. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and, and finally yesterday, happy 213th birthday to the late President Abraham Lincoln. 213 years. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there's so many things, things everywhere. Somebody even told me today, hey, don't forget National Pizza Day. (laughs) Oh, shoot, man. (laughs) I never forget National Pizza Day. (laughs) Me and Jeff Montgomery, we we make our lives around National Pizza Day, right? Yep, for sure. So many things, so many things that try to become the main thing. But here's the thing. (laughs) For followers of Jesus, there can be only one main thing. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And it's summarized like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the theme of our sermon series that's going to dive into Galatians over the course of these next three weeks. We want to hold on to this. You see, we want to focus on the unchanging, unwavering, unsurpassable good news of Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that should define everything else in our lives as followers of Jesus. And we're going to do this by by looking into Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. And I want to dive into that right now. I'd like you to open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. If you brought a Bible with you, that's wonderful. You can find Galatians in the New Testament after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll come then to Acts, followed up by Romans, followed by 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians. So just keep turning there if you need to, or you can just look at the index in the front and just go right to the page. Hey, it's all good. Whatever it is you need to get us to Galatians, let's get to Galatians. And as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about this book. Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to Galatians, is likely the oldest written document of the New Testament. 
Now, that might come as a surprise to some of you. You're like, well, wait a second. I mean, wouldn't like the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wouldn't those be earlier than, than this letter written? Probably not. You see, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, actually weren't written down until a little bit later in history. The Apostle Paul started his missionary journey in likely the late 40s, maybe the early 50s of A.D., okay, about 20 years after Jesus died. But over the course of that time, up and through the life of Paul, those who were followers of Jesus were still alive, And they were sharing the stories verbally, one to one another, reminding one another of the wonderful, amazing things that they had experienced as as first witnesses of Jesus. And it wasn't until later that they started writing those things down. While Paul went out on this missionary journey in the late 40s or early 50s AD, and the first place that he went to is a place known as Galatia. Now, where's Galatia? Well, if you can picture Turkey on a modern map, it was kind of in Turkey, okay? (laughs) Not all of it. It was kind of a region that was in there called Galatia. And Paul visited there multiple times, but his first missionary journey took him to Galatia. And so as he was there, he proclaimed the gospel for the first time outside of the boundaries of Israel. That first journey that, that took him away from from the the, the hub, the center of Christianity, was bringing him out there into Galatia, out to a group of people known as the Gentiles. These were the people who were not Jewish, okay? These were the people who were not original followers of Judaism. Now, they were there too, but the primary people who Paul is reaching out to in this age, in this area, were the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ to them. And here's what he had to say as we read together here. Let's open up to Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to begin right at the beginning as Paul introduces himself and sets the tone for his letter to this church. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace And peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's just stop right there for a second. Paul is introducing himself. Paul says, this is the way that these letters were written back then, by the way. You're kind of like, well, wait a second. Wouldn't you like start off by addressing it to the person you're addressing it to? Well, it's like, no, it's kind of like modern letters where you have on your letterhead, you've got that spot at the top that's like the return address that has your name first, and then next it goes to who you're sending it to. Well, that's kind of what was happening in these letters. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm the one who's sending you this letter. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. Apostle is another term for missionary, okay? Missionary. So Paul the missionary. And they'll remember Paul the missionary because he had been there bringing this good news about Jesus Christ. So he wants to let them know, hey, I'm writing to you. I'm the same guy who came and brought this message to you. And I wasn't sent by anybody. I wasn't sent by any human being. I was sent by Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, and by God the Father. And I'm also with all of my brothers and sisters wanting to send a greeting to you, to all of you churches in Galatia, all the places where God's people were gathering and meeting together to worship Jesus, just like you are this morning. You want to send a message to them. And he starts off by saying this message to them, saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. 
to rescue us from the present evil age. What you've got right there, friends, is a summary of the gospel. Right there, in just those two short verses. How do I know? Because you could go right back to the gospels and you can find Jesus himself speaking about these two things. The one who gave himself for our sins. Well, John 3, 16 through 17 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son, Jesus, Jesus, the one who was sent to pay for our sins, gave himself for our sins. You know what that means? That means that you're a sinner, and so am I, and so is everybody, and we are in need of a Savior. Make no doubt, there's nothing here that's being light on sin. Paul is serious about sin. God is serious about sin. So serious that he sent his own son, Jesus, to deal with it, and he sent him And Jesus himself attests to that in John 3, 16, saying, yes, God sent his son, and it's me. I'm the one who has been sent. And to rescue us from the present evil age. Well, what's that about? Well, amazingly, Jesus spoke about this too in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. I'll set the stage. Jesus was in the synagogue, as was his tradition, And as he was there, he was called upon to read, and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and these are the words that Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Good news is the translation of gospel. Gospel and good news, interchangeable. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That sounds like dealing with the evil of this present age, doesn't it? That's what Jesus came to do, to forgive us of our sins given by the Father for our sins and to rescue us from this evil age by proclaiming freedom, hope, forgiveness, Release from bondage and the year of the Lord's favor. You know what another way to title the year of the Lord's favor, what God's favor is? Grace. Grace. That's God's favor. Favor is God's grace. You haven't earned it. It's just a gift that he gives. God's favor. So there it is. Paul is capturing in this very first introduction in writing this letter to the church at Galatia, The gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Paul, for setting it up so well. But now something starts to go a little different direction. Let's keep reading as Paul has more to say, beginning at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is upset, and Paul is serious, because Paul wants to make it clear that the most important message that has ever been proclaimed to humanity cannot be changed, must not be changed, and you shouldn't mess with it, and somebody has been messing with it. This message that he has proclaimed, forgiveness of sins, the grace of God offered through giving his son Jesus to rescue us from this present evil age. The gospel, somebody has come along and distorted it. Somebody has messed with it. Somebody has twisted it. Twisted it so much that it's not even the gospel anymore. Paul says, this is another gospel. This is some other kind of message that you've been receiving. And it's not the one that I told you. And I'm upset that you so quickly abandoned the message that I gave you. Paul has taken it personally, and rightly so, because it's not about Paul. It's about the message that he proclaimed. And he's so serious about it, he says, listen, if an angel themselves should step down from heaven and proclaim a message other than the gospel that we shared with you, let them be accursed. And he says it again. He's really driving the point home. If anybody shows up and proclaims and preaches to you something other than the gospel you have accepted, let them be cursed by God. Pretty strong language. Because there's so much at stake here. So who are these other preachers? Well, here's the thing. They were a group of people who followed up after Paul had preached and who believed that in order to really be on good terms with God, you needed to follow Jesus, yes, and follow all the rules and regulations of Judaism, starting with circumcision. Now, what's the deal with that? Well, here's the thing. Circumcision was a mark that was given to God's people in the Old Testament that was a mark of the fact that they were claimed by him, that they were his special and unique people. And he called them to do this in a particular piece of time. But he did it with something in mind. He did it with the idea that these people should be a blessing because of this. These people should see the world as, as a place that God loves and desires to be in relationship with. And he has started with this seed of Abraham, with these people, and declared that these are the people who I want to call to myself, and I want them to be set apart this way. But now something has happened. Jesus has come, and Jesus has fulfilled that which God always intended, which is that this message of salvation that would come only from God, that that message would be for everyone, for the Jew and the Gentile alike, for all of them, and they no longer were under the stipulations of the law. They didn't have to obey everything that had been put in place before that people couldn't obey anyway. That people had failed over and over and over and over and over to fulfill. And that was part of the point, was that by living in that law, it should put them to death. It should kill them. It should put them in a place where they're like, you know what, I just give up. I can't do this anymore. Good, now you're ready for my salvation. Now you're ready for my rescue. But these people who were coming after Paul were trying to twist this message. 
basically saying that Jesus plus circumcision equals real Christians. These are the real Christians. Just making sure that you've done this first. And this was just the beginning. Then let's add on top of that the Sabbath laws. Then let's add on top of that the purity laws. Then let's add on top of that all the festivals and all the holy days. Let's add the entirety of the law and say that you must do these things too. Yes, there's Jesus, but you gotta have all this other stuff too. Because if you don't have all this other stuff too, you're not really in good with God. That's a different gospel. In fact, it's no gospel at all. All of these additions actually subtract from the good news of Jesus. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2, 19 through 21. You've already heard it, but let's hear it again, shall we? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Everybody say nothing. 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 If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. Imagine looking at your Lord and saying, you know what, Jesus, thank you for everything that you did, but I've got it from here. I think I can be good enough. I think I can work hard enough. I've got some agendas. I've got some plans. I've got some things that I think are really, really important, and I know you got things started, but I'll finish it myself. Paul says, if that's the case, then Jesus died for nothing. I don't want to be in that camp (laughs) that would put ourselves in a spot that says that Jesus died for nothing. Because Jesus plus the law equals nothing. It doesn't equal the gospel. It equals nothing. This was the heart of the issue for Paul 2,000 years ago. As he was just beginning to share the good news about Jesus with a group of people called the Gentiles. And interestingly, those same challenges have hung around for 2,000 years and find their ways into our lives in different ways. You see, people want to add to what Jesus said or subtract from what Jesus did or divide people by what Jesus said. And that makes it harder to multiply disciples as Jesus commissioned us to do. Addition, subtraction, division, multiplication. That's as far as I got in math. (laughs) But seriously, when we try to add or subtract something from what Jesus has done, it ultimately just divides people, divides them into their own personal camps, into their own personal ways of trying to fashion things the way that they want to. And here's the thing, and listen to this closely. The more you add to the gospel, the less it looks like Jesus 
and the more it looks like you. The more you add to the gospel, the less it looks like Jesus, and the more it looks like you. You can't die for your own sins and be resurrected and brought into new life. You'll just die without Jesus. It's all on Jesus. But we will always be tempted to add something to Jesus' gospel so that we can reshape it into our own image of being a faithful disciple. Yeah, Jesus, I know that you died for me, but look at what I'm doing for you. Don't I get extra credit? Can I just add that to the work that you've done for me and, and then I'll be like a really superstar for you? No, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. So my question for you today is this. What are you trying to put into the nothing part of this equation? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What are you trying to insert into that nothing box? Because whatever you're trying to put into that nothing box is ultimately going to leave you with nothing. Whatever you try to put there moves the nothing to the other side of the equation. Is it your own works? Is it your own good moral behavior? Is it your political party affiliation? Is it your desire for comfort and not rocking the boat? Is it your desire for stability? Please don't change anything. Let's just keep everything the same. Whatever it is that you throw into that box is adding to or subtracting from the gospel. And the gospel is so vital because we're sinners and we need it and we can't do it ourselves. And here God has come and offered everything that we need through Jesus alone. How do you know if the thing you are focusing on is a Jesus thing? Well, let me ask you this. Does the thing that you are focusing on draw you closer to the grace of God? Or does it push you away from it? Is the thing that you are thinking about your neighbor pushing them further away from the grace of God? Or drawing them closer to the grace of God? To God's unmerited favor to the gift that God has for them, which is the same gift he has for you. See, sometimes we get in our own way and then we get in the way of others when it comes to the gospel. We hear this good news about Jesus forgiving us and we say, yeah, I'm so glad that, that Jesus died and forgives me, but, but you know what? There's just some things that I don't think he's really forgiven me from, and so I'm gonna just work really hard to see if I can fix those things myself. And then we'll project that onto somebody else. Oh, you know what? I know, that, I know that Jesus forgives them and everything, but boy, they really better get this figured out because if they don't get this figured out, well, then they're not really in with God. Let's not be in that place. That's adding something into the nothing box. So what do we get when we don't add anything? Jesus plus nothing equals What? Say it really loud. Everything. Everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
Let me give you some examples of the everything that comes into our lives through Jesus alone. Faith, hope, love, salvation, and healing in our lives that overflows out into the world around us, that brings salvation and healing to others, that transforms the world around us, not because we're so great, but because God is so good. And because Jesus alone has done this work for us and now does it through us. That's having Christ alive in you. The life you live is now Jesus' life. And in that life there is everything. It brings about the year of the Lord's favor. Just like Jesus promised The year of the Lord's favor, guess what? It wasn't one calendar year that was over after Jesus said this. The year of the Lord's favor is renewed every year for you and for me. Every day it's new. God's favor and grace, this year of his favor is now for you and for me. Let's not get in the way of it by throwing something into the nothing box. Let's receive this great, incredible, mind-blowing news, the good news of your salvation from sin, that its bondage has been broken over you, that there's new life and new hope and faith and love and a future that begins now and goes on into eternity. That's the good news. And there is so much more that God brings into our lives. And we're going to talk some more about that in the weeks to come. So stay tuned. There is more to come as we live into the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, nothing more and nothing less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift that you have offered to us that's new and fresh to us today in this very moment, just as it was new and fresh and proclaimed by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord, that we get to read the pages of your word inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoken by the Apostle Paul, and reminding us today that there should be no other gospel than you and that you, Jesus, are enough and you plus nothing brings us everything. Lord, help us to be recipients of that grace today and to share that grace with the world around us. We pray this today, Jesus, in your name.